0: We're just talking now about emotional regulation. You know, understanding that the DSM-5 has no mention of emotional regulation or dysregulation in the symptoms listed for ADHD. Nothing. This is the drumbeat right now. It's important to elevate and let the public know about this connection between ADHD, executive functioning, and emotional dysregulation. Right. But there's often this sort of like, okay, you struggle with emotional regulation, you struggle with emotional management, and yes, people need to learn how to regulate emotion better. You
1: ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive, a strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Hey everyone, Catherine Avery, the Attention Coast and host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. Today we have Cameron Gott with us. He is an executive ADHD coach since 2000. It's a PCC and works with creative leaders and business owners worldwide to help them take action more efficiently and to lead more effectively. He co-hosts the Translating ADHD podcast and trains and mentors ADHD coaches, including me, through Coach Approach Training. He teaches group coaching classes through Translating ADHD and Melissa Orlov's ADHD Marriage program. He speaks and teaches on a variety of topics, including ADHD and coaching. Cam is now curious about the nexus of ADHD, positive intelligence, and the role of emotion in leadership and motivation through his equanimity group coaching effort. Cam lives outside of Charlottesville, Virginia, in the shadow of the Blue Ridge Mountains with his wife and two children. What an amazing place to live! I've been there once. Thanks, Cam, for being here. I'm excited.
0: It's great to be here, Catherine. Thanks for having me.
1: Great. Right. I really want to start with. How do you know when you have ADHD and not just overwhelm? And I'm going to put the caveat that neither one of us, a medical doctor, neither one of us plays one on TV. We're coming at this from a coaching perspective, which is a very different perspective than a clinical viewpoint. But in your years of experience, what have you kind of seen around this? What kind of differentiates an adhd -er, which I am, from someone who's overwhelmed, which I can also be?
0: Yeah. Um I think most of my 90s I was in a state of overwhelm, right? So you can have ADHD and you can be overwhelmed. Uh, you can also be overwhelmed, you can have burnout without ADHD. And I think there's a there's a couple things, you know, we're seeing more and more about ADHD in the news right now. There's uh, the major media outlets or you know, there's an epidemic of ADHD. And I just was sort of thinking about this is that you know, ADHD is something that really is in the background. It's it's one of these invisible disabilities that's really hard to see and that people with ADHD are often creative. They're creative in the ways that they cope and they find ways to cope and manage. And if you think about the last couple of years and what COVID presented, it's removing all these structures of work, of routine, of ritual. Oh, bring the kids home for homeschooling. Now you're a homeschooler. And you're managing all these different things, these these new inputs and stimuli without the supports you enjoyed before. And that is a recipe for disaster for anyone, but for someone with ADHD, it can be really troubling. I've been saying that COVID and the pandemic was a reveal party for ADHD. Mm. It's there. And sort of people say, it's, oh, what is it in the water? Why are people getting diagnosed with ADHD? Because they were managing, it was because they were coping, and the numbers are still low in adults they're around two or three percent diagnosed. You know what I tend to go with is around you know four to six percent is a conservative percentage of people diagnosed with ADHD so is it being overdiagnosed? Yes, but it's more likely it's misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed right there's also the advent of these telemedicine and the advent of these services that are providing diagnoses and meds virtually is making it more available. It's also a little bit more problematic because we're not doing this, we're not seeing this comprehensive assessment because often it's figuring out, is it something else? What else is going on? Right now on our podcast, Translating ADHD, we're talking about the impact of your own lived experience. And so there's the ADHD, but ADHD never really operates by itself. It turns out that if you're male and married, and you have some practice of exercise and spirituality, you tend to see ADHD as a positive thing. If you're not those things, if you don't check those boxes, then it's more likely that you don't. Well, so what does that mean? What that means is chronic pain, trauma, abuse, uh, gender too, if those are in play, then again, ADHD can really exacerbate the situation. And I'll just say that women with ADHD are eight times more likely to attempt suicide. Eight times going from around two and a half to 3% to 24%. That's astounding. That is an epidemic right there. And no one's talking about that, Catherine. So, back to your question of like, okay, is it burnout? Is it overwhelm? Or is it ADHD? What I tend to see is that, again, this is uh, my anecdotal evidence is that when people will address a certain issue and they're able to, I'm putting air quotes here, make those ADHD symptoms disappear or go away, like addressing uh, nutrition or sleep or their environment, they're reducing stressors in some way. And it's like that distractibility, that forgetfulness is somehow mitigated in some way. You're not talking about ADHD, mm. but COVID didn't just affect us individuals with ADHD. It affected everybody. Right. And so here are these massive stressors that have come with the pandemic and all the uncertainty and change. And so, yeah, people were, you know, they were in a, in a vulnerable place to begin with. Engagement was at an all-time low before the pandemic. You talk about quiet quitting and cutting back and burnout. We were on the verge of burnout. The thing about ADHD is this, these mechanisms around organizing, prioritizing, and activating for task. I was just commenting on um, this term called task inertia. Being able to identify the thing you want to do and then work on it to get it started. This is a classic ADHD dilemma Ooh. that we really struggle with, not only the stuff we don't want to do, but we struggle with the things that we do want to do that we can't fit into some urgent time box. Right. Right. So it's the things that often it's, it's unfortunate because it's these things that only matter to us. If they matter to someone else, we can set ourselves up to be responders, react and respond to the situation. So there's a couple things here that are in play is there's this fluid interpretation of time. Right. There's a challenge around identifying, creating, maintaining, and sustaining structures that help you. We often have this love-hate relationship with structure. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: very familiar.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then there's this emotional piece. And that's the part that I'm kind of paying a lot of attention to is not only do we have this time blindness, we can also have this emotional blindness to not to perceive the emotion that an event will elicit or enhance or what's needed for that moment. We get into that situation and we get caught off guard and guess what? we do this emotional dysregulation. We get triggered, we get flooded because it came out of left field. But this goes all back to these executive function elements in play around regulating and management.
1: Boy, where do I start? I just saw the global workforce report. We're talking about it with Ellen in um, Coaching Effective Leaders, which is another coach approach class that Mm -hmm. I'm taking um, that Cam used to teach. And we were talking about this particular report, and she was saying that the engagement was 33%, but her last numbers were 2016. The 2022 numbers on engagement were 21%. Only 21% of the workforce feels engaged with their jobs. That's not a very good number.
0: Right. You know, so if you're not engaged, you don't have a sense of fulfillment or purpose. And again, when they ask, they keep. It was a gallop that asked this question of, you know, how hopeful are you that you're gonna have a better life than your parents? Mm. That is at an all-time low. Right. With inflation, with home ownership, it seems like an uphill battle. So I think that overwhelm, burnout, it's here. Right. The population is stressed. There are stressors. The thing about ADHD is again, there's some specific things that come into play. What I hear from people when they come and I sort of have a sense of, yeah, this is ADHD in play. Because when they come and talk to me, I'm, I'm assessing, first of all, is coaching something they need or do they? is it really an opportunity maybe to do their other emotional work? Uh-huh. If there's some trauma, is there some healing that needs to happen with a therapist or a counselor? One of them is, is I can't hold myself accountable. The statement that I hear, I can't hold myself accountable. Struggling to take hard-fought learning and pull it forward. Ooh. And so that is this cause and effect dilemma that I don't see enough discussed in ADD land of, we live at effect, it's very difficult for us to get cause it to causation, right? And so there's learning there that we can apply forward. We often will make the same mistakes over and over again. You know, that the old movie Groundhog Day, the guy has to keep learning the same thing over and over. That is just classic ADHD in play. And then, as I said, it's like struggling with the things that only matter to us. Right. You know, it's funny because I realized, I had that awareness when I went from teaching into coaching. I really have a hard time holding myself accountable, again, for the things that I know that need to happen, but they don't have to happen today. I can kick it off to tomorrow. It's, it, there's something about that that's really challenging. And I had this awareness that I wasn't completing. I would, a lot of effort and energy, it's sort of a, imagine the roadrunner spinning their legs, but actually not moving or moving in circles and not moving to destination places, right? Where you're producing something, delivering something. And so it was turning toward this accountability dilemma that had me think about accountability in a different way. And this is where coaching comes into play, Catherine, is coaching provides this really positive and proactive way to look at accountability, to provide that structure. And some people can come and and share regardless. Right.
1: And I found that one of the things I had to do for the people who I coach with is provide them with opportunities for accountability. So I run power hours, four mornings a week for an hour. You come, you tell me what you're going to work on. I'm going to kind of be paying attention to, was that something you've been bringing up in coaching the last three weeks? And if it's not, and it keeps not being the thing you're bringing up, then the next coaching session is going to be, hey, I noticed you come to power hour and you never work on X. Is X still important to you, right? So they have that opportunity. Well, it's been great for me because it holds me accountable, right? I set the timer. We all Pomodoro style work. I get things done. I'm queen of 80%. I hired someone. Her primary job is to make sure I complete the last 20%. I wouldn't get stuff done if I didn't have someone to just say, hey, I'm holding your feet to the fire. Get this
0: done. Yeah. I often talk about on on our podcast about you know, the major things that I do are often collaborations. Right. Now, I, I do write a blog. I teach classes all by myself, teaching, <laughs> I think, a record number five right now. But I've got a pretty good template for each one. Right. I've been there. And so it's not a lot of creating from nothing. But yeah, taking a creative and innovative approach towards structure, time, and this concept of, uh, of embracing your wiring, mm. right? to embrace the way that your wiring works.
1: I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, thinking about wiring, this equanimity idea because that's not a word that I use very often. And I know you're tying it up with positive intelligence. And I've sort of been on the very edges of some of the work you've been doing with positive intelligence. Can you talk to us more about that?
0: Sure. You know, and actually, I didn't know about equanimity till about a year and a half ago, or at least I I had an idea of what it was, but I didn't really know about it until one of our mutual colleagues used it just in a statement of, you know, I really just, I'm going to practice more equanimity. And I'm like, that sounds interesting. That's
1: kind of how I felt <laughs> when you said it. I was like,
0: huh. You know, and I just equanimity, I kind of like placed it into this, this category of like equity. You know, I was just like, it's one of those EQ, <laughs> equality, equity. Yeah. All right. And I'll just sort of put it over there. But when I looked up the, the definition, it started to resonate with me. And I think that You know, I'm one of these sort of rebellious type.
1: (laughs) I know some of the stories. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. A bit of a rebel here and feel that the ADHD industry kind of lags behind a bit. We're just talking now about emotional regulation. You know, understanding that the DSM-5 has no mention of emotional regulation or dysregulation in the symptoms listed for ADHD, nothing. Right. This is the drumbeat right now. It's important to elevate and let the public know about this connection between ADHD, executive functioning, and emotional dysregulation. Right. But there's often this sort of like, okay, you struggle with emotional regulation, you struggle with emotional management, and Yes, people need to learn how to regulate emotion better. Do you know the other thing is is that we're a pretty passionate bunch, right? We can get excited. And also, I see a lot of neurotypicals not regulating their emotions well either.
1: (laughs) I see a lot of it right now.
0: Yeah, don't we? I think that, again, doing our emotional work is really important on the front end, right? To do the emotional work. If there is emotional work to be had around trauma or, again, growing up with this thing that you never knew about, you're going to have some thoughts and feelings that are not going to be necessarily accurate. And we have this negative self talk that can be pretty damaging. Um, It can be damaging to us, it can be damaging to others, right? The sense of, oh, it's, you know, I'm the problem, you're the problem, the world's the problem. I see emotion as sort of this last piece of the puzzle. I thought, again, in my 20 years here, I thought it was, I thought it was a time problem. Then I thought it was a structure problem. Uh, then I thought it was an acceptance problem. Right? It's like accepting your ADHD and moving forward. And it's this last piece here that I'm seeing with my leaders, that they're wanting more than just to regulate emotion. It's coming from the desire of my clients. They don't want to just manage emotions. They want to do more with emotions. And so, this is where positive intelligence comes in. And I see positive intelligence not as a standalone. It is offered as a standalone. A lot of people, again, the the book by Shirzad Shamin, and then there's a program that people can take with coaches. Right. I see it as something that you can integrate into the work with your clients with ADHD, but it's really important to paint an accurate context for it because positive intelligence is not designed for the neurodiverse population. It is, is again, like do this pivot and activate. It's like, wait a sec. You're going to tell someone with ADHD (laughs) to identify that negative emotion, take your hand off the hot stove and pivot. And so when you start to look at it as a tool, to identify emotions, to see them in play. This is the thing. It's not that we can't regulate. It's that we, you know, how can we value something we can't regularly access? How can we access something we can't see or sense? And this is often the case is we will partition our emotions, just like we kind of get on autopilot with our day and like, okay, I got my task list and here's my plan and we kind of were set up for productivity. This is actually one of the levels of a, the emotional health ladder that I taught at one of the last conferences with Tamara Rozier. This autopilot, like we're going in and we partition that emotional voice. We partition emotions. You just stay over on the side. As we go in and something upsets our plan, what happens to that emotion? It just sort of breaks through and, and has us escalate And then we get this big signal response and it's like, we get into our defensive crouch and then we're having this emotional experience. But if we can start to look at emotions, I kind of like Susan David's approach, this emotional agility of all emotions are fine if we see them coming, right? That anger is often this display of a value being compromised social justice warriors of like, aren't you outraged? Aren't you outraged? Yes, but take that outrage and can you convert it? Right? Can you convert it into leadership and influence and articulate what really matters to you? So this is the second level emotional work that I'm doing with my clients in this class. And I actually just wrote a blog post. I'm calling it Emotional Regulation 2.0. What do you ding, think ding, of ding. that, Catherine? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. I'm. Oh, he's kind of getting emotional over here. Yeah, I'm getting emotional over here, because emotions are about motivation, that central to motivation and attention, and where we place value, and it's the stuff that happens between people, the emotions that are happening between there, whether they're positive, or negative. But if we can develop more awareness, kind of create a dashboard real time of our emotional experience and anticipate the emotions that are in play, we can see them more as a resource, as something that we can leverage to pull the learning forward. I was saying earlier, one of the dilemmas with ADHD is identifying the learning and pulling it forward because it often that learning languishes in the regret, the shame of the experience. Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe they did that. And then we get attached. This is the ADD part is that kind of that arcade claw game, you know, that it goes down and you gets the little furry animal and you can't grab it. Well, you can't grabbing it is like, you can't grab the task and move it forward, but also we will attach to something and not be able to shake it or let go of it.
1: Right. And then you got the wrong one and you're so annoyed. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: totally (laughs) been there. Been
1: there. So it's so interesting you talk about this because, and I always love getting a male perspective on things because being a female, you know, I'm wired differently as a female. So I spent 20 years on the couch, you know, in therapy, dealing with emotions. and didn't get the ADHD diagnosis till I was 55 when I finally just kind of, basically said, damn it, I'm going to go get it and find out what the deal is. I knew by that point I had it. I mean, I'd always deep into coach approach. We'd been studying ADHD. You know, my wheels had come off at age 50 with chemo and they took away all my hormones and all these kinds of things. So it was sort of a very sudden entry into the world of I've got executive function challenges and then looking back. And so you talk about that emotion I went and pulled out all my high school report cards to be able to do the diagnosis of ADHD and was just heartbroken to see this kid who knew she was smart and intelligent but couldn't get out of her own way. I mean, literally, people were writing, you can't get out of your own way. And what was the point of all that? So I kind of felt like I did a lot of the emotional work prior to then doing the ADHD work. So I'm kind of backwards, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but then there's always more emotional work to do. And case in point today, I ended up getting burnout this summer and I finished a meeting at 1 p.m. and I was falling asleep and I was actually had moved into the living room area to sort of sit in a different location, thinking that'll help keep my energy up and, you know, change a scene kind of deal and realized it just wasn't going to happen. And I literally had to lie down for 10, 15 minutes before I could do this because the emotion there was just like, I'm dead. I'm tired. I don't have it in me. I'm going to cancel. It's not going to happen. And I'm like, I don't want to cancel. I want this to happen. You know, and again, that goes to that activation piece, right? So I did. I lay in bed with a book, kept myself awake, had a little timer set for, you know, 10 of in case, God forbid, I overslept. And I actually did not fall asleep you know, if I hadn't been paying attention, if I hadn't learned about how to pay attention to, hey, your energy is at a bottom right now. You got to go do something about it to re-energize and get through the rest of your day. This would be a disaster, right? I would have maybe missed this because I would have slept through it. Or worse yet, I would have come to the thing grumpy as heck going, oh, I'm so tired, Cam. You didn't need to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that.
0: Yeah. And you're speaking to this thing that, again, that These are the symptoms of ADHD. Is this, you know, on the podcast, we talk about the three barriers of ADHD. And the first barrier is awareness, the second barrier is action, and the third barrier is learning. This first one, um, don't know what you don't know. This is why, again, ADHD is underdiagnosed because it's really hard for us to be aware, to generate accurate awareness in the moment. Because we're with our thoughts, and oh by the way, those thoughts are on that that the gravitron that we we all rode, you know, back when we were twelve at the state fair, spinning around at a high rate of speed. That's your experience. It's hard to stop and really assess the situation, and that's another way that you know that that ADHD is in play is that it's really hard for us to know where our limits are. That. I have an acronym for the tea acronym, a cup of tea, right? T-E-A, time, energy, and attention. Right. Is that a lot of people with ADHD think those are infinite. Infinite.
1: They aren't, Cam? <laughs> that kind of pisses me off, I gotta yeah, say. Yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> but when you really start to like, okay, if there are limits here, then we can sort of start to move toward and, you know, this is really fascinating. It's like, here's this interest in emotion. And I'm about to share something with you, which is actually just laden with emotion. You know, stuff that, again, I was doing long, long ago, but it's all kind of clicking now with this higher level emotional work. Right. And so it's called the six C's. And it's like getting to this commitment place, commitment. Right. And on the front end, it's choice and curiosity and then creative and action and celebrating that completion. But think about it. Curiosity, creativity, and choice really have elements of positive emotion. Right. And what we do is out of necessity, Catherine, out of necessity, we tap into our negative neural networks to get stuff done. Yep. We tap into its urgency. But again, I thought it was a time and a structure problem. It's a time structure and it's a, an emotion problem, too.
1: Right and I have to say really fast, I'm going to interrupt you, is when I finally found out that I had ADHD underlying everything, it makes perfect sense why I had an anxiety diagnosis. Because often, and I'm going to say mostly women, but I'm not going to exclude men, will get that anxiety diagnosis because we're overcompensating for that executive function issue that we just can't manage. So we We run everything off anxiety and it's really not good. It's not a healthy way to live. So yeah, could I have had anxiety about lying in bed for 10, 15 minutes before I speak to Cam? I could have, but you know, to hell with that. Because actually, as much as I was joking that I wish we had more infinite time, energy and attention, I actually recognize we don't. And I didn't have it in that moment. So hadn't thought about having a cup of tea, thought about just laying down in bed for five, 10 minutes.
0: Yeah. And it worked, didn't
1: it? Absolutely. I mean, I think right now I'm on fire, which is my normal operating <laughs> modality, right? Usually I'm pretty on fire, but when I'm tired, I'm I'm toast. And I think I kind of am on and off. I'm not a middle ground
0: person. I really appreciate you bringing up that example because I listened to the Huberman lab. And uh, this is Andrew Huberman. He's a biological neurologist at Stanford. He has a podcast. It's a lot about performance. Right. And it's around like, again, nutrition, but sort of optimal functioning. He did one on ADHD and focus or ADHD and attention. And his description of the, basically the neuroscience of ADHD is really positive. His follow-up stuff, not so much, right? He gets a little bit, you know, it's, it's again, sort of layman stuff. He doesn't really get the ADD experience of what's going on or what might help. But he talks about this, again, how the task management system and the default mode network are not anti-correlated, meaning one should be active while the other is quiet, and then vice versa. And with ADHD, we have the imaging now that shows it is they they're kind of are crisscrossing each other,
1: right.
0: right When you went to lie down and not think and perseverate, or right?' just to be kind of quiet and present and relax. You were actually actively shutting down that task management system and activating the default mode network. So Huberman talks about, like again, just optimum functioning. It's like how we can activate that task management system for ninety minutes and then we really need to take a break. Mm-hmm. And he has a term. I might not get it quite right, but it's sort of like this, Deep near sleep rest state, right? And this is what we can do. We can actually kind of again manipulate our function in ways to kind of activate this. And I'm not saying like, oh, I'm I'm anti meds. You know, it doesn't doesn't mean that at all. But I just know that there's people out there like, yeah, I know you're talking about it, and uh, I I really don't buy this whole ADD thing. You know, I think it's X or Y or Z. I think it's it's uh, you know pharmaceutical companies trying to sell meds. But I've been around this thing for, for a long, long time. And I see the impact of ADHD. But I also see when you identify it and accept it and start to work on it actively, I just see a range of, like again, people at the beginning stages and people on their journey. And they are having a different experience. Mm.
1: And for me... I don't take meds, totally in favor of meds. I have no issue with them. I think they're fine. Many of my clients take them. I opt not to. Really has much more to do with being a post-cancer survivor and taking medication for that and not wanting to throw something else in the mix. So I do have to lean on all these different skills, these things that we learn that you, if you're done after 90 minutes, as Hugh Roman says, you need to rest. Resting might be walking around the block. For me today, resting was lying down. That's pretty unusual for me. Usually it is taking a walk around the block, but that's what my body needed. And I think one of the greatest gifts I've gotten out of doing coach approach was learning for myself personally, on top of many other gifts. But this one is really this pay attention to what your body's telling you Mm -hmm. because it's giving you messages.
0: Yeah. And that's actually a big part of this positive intelligence program is it's about body awareness. It's, um, you know, there's a mindfulness aspect. There's a, it's about you know, proprioception or this, again, the body awareness. And when you do, you know, when you focus on, say, I'm just, and I'm, I'm uh, rubbing my index finger and my thumb together right now. You do that for 10 seconds and you focus on it. You focus on the physical sensation of that. It actually quiets the amygdala. It quiets down the threat center in the brain.
1: Right.
0: You know, if you go and this is again, OT has known this for years of helping children with sensory integration challenges of that pressure when applied to the body quiets the nervous system, right? This is the whole notion around uh, weighted blankets. Ooh. And so it's like, well, okay, mindfulness doesn't work for me, Camp. Everything that I do is walking. I tend to basically do my mindful practices while I'm walking my dogs, riding my bike, you know, as I'm being active because sitting still and closing my eyes and not moving, that's really hard for me to do.
1: Yeah. And that's a great way to do it. If you're someone with ADHD and you find it hard to sit in one spot at one time, I hate to do this because I know us, we could talk for an hour and a half, (laughs) but I'm looking at the time and being mindful of it which is not a superpower of ADHD. And I would love to know how people can find you, Cam.
0: You can find me at my website, camerongott.com. I have a blog there. And then also I co-host the Translating ADHD podcast with Shelly Collins, a fellow coach. And we bring this coaching of uh, perspective to managing ADD. Um, and right now, as I said, we're looking at... Your context matters, right? Digging into sort of specific lived experiences. We just spoke with Sudita Kasturi, who's a South Asian ADHD coach, and so she provided us with this, you know, wonderful narrative of again, what's it like to have ADHD and be of of South Asian culture or heritage? Love it. That's great.
1: Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you bet. It was great to be here, Catherine.
1: I'll also put all the links in the show notes for anyone who wants to track down Cam. Again, thanks so much. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week.
0: This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM.